Welcome to the Easel Studio Podcast. This is the audio version of an episode that was originally broadcast on easel.eu. If you wish to watch rather than listen, go to Easel Campus to see all the episodes on demand. Welcome to Easel Studio, your weekly hepatology broadcast news. In today's episode, we will discover how to propel liver cell biology into the third dimension. I'm very happy to welcome Professor Krista Rombaut, who will be our moderator today, and Professor Ludovic Vallier from Cambridge, and Professor Pedro Baptista from the Aragon Health Sciences Institute in Zaragoza, who will be our discutants. I'm also very happy to welcome our live audience today and invite you all to ask your burning questions during the upcoming discussion. Today's episode is connected to the World Day of Laboratory Animals, which is on the 24th of April. The three R's of animal research include the call to replace animal experiments with in vitro alternatives. However, classical 2D cell culture is regarded to be very artificial. Yet modern research allows to propel cellular experiments into the third dimension and thus mimicking physiological conditions. So today, we will take this occasion to discuss about pros and cons and visions how 3D cell experiments might be used in the future. Please note that today's episode is themed a young investigator choice, because we believe that this topic is definitely future-oriented and likely to be of value for many young investigators who are or will be working with liver cells. So Krista, I invite you to start the discussion and I'm excited to learn a lot during today's debate. Thank you, Philip, for the very nice introduction. Uh, good afternoon, uh, good evening, everybody. Um, so yeah, uh, today we're uh, discussing cell biology and uh, propelling anti-cell biology in the three dimension. And uh, of course, um, I would like to start uh, with asking a question to Pedro. And um, this is for all of us, uh, our generation, where uh, we all started in the lab working with cells in 2D. And uh, so Pedro, um, what do you think? How far are we? And uh, let's say, how did everything happen? And we propelled the cell biology from a 2D in a three dimension. Well, uh, I think that's the, the, the question here at large, right? So how, what is the evolution of this? Where does this history comes from? And where are we today? And where are we going with it? So considering the last 20, 30 years, I think we already came kind of a long way. So we started with, the, we're talking specifically on the liver, with hepatocyte aggregates that started seven, in the 70s and in the 80s, showing that there was already more function if we were able to culture our hepatocytes in aggregates and suspension, and also with the embryoid bodies. Not, not, not a story on the liver, but embryoid bodies with embryonic stem cells or embryonal carcinoma, where it all started. And uh, it came a long way, and it all started uh, shaping into something else when we started also with our bioengineering and tissue engineering techniques. And uh, with organoids in 2008, 2009, with that uh, very... Um, a seminal paper from uh, Sato and Hans Clevers with the intestinal organoids. So this is al already almost 15 years ago 
But uh, if we think where we are today, so we have pharma picking up on the stories. And I think the most important example is just the recent hiring by Roche of Hans Clevers and not so long ago of Matthias Luthold. So they're putting quite a lot of money and resources into this because they also believe that these 3D organoids are certainly uh, giving them the next level on drug discovery and evolution. And uh, if we put this to all together, so 3D is certainly propelling, I think, a higher level of drug screening, toxicology, uh, developmental biology. And it's not uh, pretty much like a, a, a Persian carpet. We're also not doing this with only one color. We're now putting a lot more colors into it. And by this, I mean not only one cell type, but different cell types. And in the case of the liver, different non-parenchymal cells, endothelial, stroma, um, macrophage or Kupfer cells. And I think this is giving us really a different picture of what's happening, not only because it's 3D, but because we're also putting more cells there that start to organize on a 3D spatial environment and not just doing side-by-side connections as they did in the 2D environment. And if you put this and transfer this into regenerative medicine uh, and, and tissue engineering, I think we have good examples, not, not only in the liver, but as we started with our uh, with the pioneers, as uh, Tony Atala with the bladder, uh, the skin, the blood vessels, which were already all able to translate this uh, into human patients as the first tissue engineered product. So uh, in a glimpse, I think this, in the past 20, 30 years, this is what we were able to do with the 2D, 3D, uh, doing some transfers towards the, the clinical products, towards the, the, the bad side, and also uh, making this these transfers of technology or these translations into the drug development as, as we've seen by the examples of Russia. As the last example on the future perspectives, so if you think about solid organs, which is what we work here in Zaragoza, uh, I think there's still some good way or a long way to go to transfer some of these 3D organs towards the clinic because we still don't have robust vascular networks that will allow the, the, the transplantation of bioengineered livers without uh, any glitches or, or, or thrombosis. But I, I think we're in the way to, to, to produce this, to generate these types of organs. And I think so the, the future is brilliant, not, not for us, but for the patients that need to have um, newer solutions. Uh, to their diseases. Yeah, um, uh, thank you, Pedro. I fully agree that um, it's not just about uh, a new cell culture method that we are moved from the 2D towards the 3D. It's really interconnecting with the bioengineering, with the liver regeneration, where in one way or the other, the three dimension is very important. And I guess um, uh, more so the last 10 years, especially in the last 10 years, uh, so many different 3D models have uh, been uh, invented, have been analyzed and have been published. And uh, at one point, and if it's not in five years or 10 years, we, we, we are making giant uh, steps you know, every year you do see these kind of beautiful uh, uh, working mechanisms popping out that we couldn't have uh, uh, investigated or we couldn't have analyzed uh, when we just stayed at the 2D level. Uh, in fact, it's, uh, I think we, we already made giant steps actually, but uh, you know, uh, still five, 10 years and, 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 and maybe we're there, you know, cross fingers. Eh? 
And um, I wanted to go to Ludovic. Um, so yeah, uh, we already have, uh, Pedro already has touched a little bit on the uh, stem cells, right? And you as one of uh, experts in stem cells and in the organoids, how how did your lab and and your and your uh, investigation your research changed when you started working with the stem cells and the organoids? How different? Uh, what what was the biggest difference between let's say working in the two D and, and and going for a three D organoid model? Yeah, no, that, that's a uh, no, very interesting question. So it's what is interesting. Uh, no, I mean my my background is human propellant stem cells and. And you know, when we started uh, 20 years ago, uh, um, no, we, we were used already to do differentiation in 3D uh, using what we call embryonic bodies, which like, you know, we put the cells in suspension and they start to grow and form these 3D structures. Uh, but I was very in control and, and you know, there were a lot of heterogeneity uh, and uh, the cells were very difficult to analyze. And this system was, you no. Know, slowly uh, back, uh, no, not used anymore because it was just too complex. And we started to develop a lot of 2D system uh, for you know, the past 10, 15 years. And simply because it was easier, you know, faster, and our, um, no, uh, almost higher throughput in terms of analysis. And it's really you now the past five to 10 years that we started really to revisit the 3D system uh, because we needed then you no know, more complexity. And also we have a better understanding how to put those cells together, what is our biology, and how likely we can uh, develop meaningful interaction uh, using 3D system. That's really what, what, no, what, what really brings us to the 3D. And what, what the 3D make for us is, is no, it doesn't really fundamentally change the biology of the cells we generate so far. That's important. No, the cells we generate in vitro um, have some limitation regarding function and, and, and activity. And the 3D doesn't really, it's not a revolution on those aspects. But what the 3D allows us to do is to uh, bring additional function because of the, the organization in, in three dimension. So for example, no, the hepatocyte we generate from prevalent stem cells, uh, we can look for example at, uh, Toxic, you know, compounds and for 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 example, past uh, toxicology, because when the cells are in three D, you know, they secret all the toxin within these three D structures, and that's in the uh, induced you know, uh, tox, uh, toxic dose, which is impossible to do in two D because we wash the cells every time we you know uh, change the culture culture medium, and that's you no know, one of the aspects really bring additional function because of the three D organization. Also, of course, that's allows us to do co culture, which are you no know, us to generate. Um, self-organized mini organs that are really important now to study you no know, interaction between cells, especially between you no know, um, hepatic cell cells, for example, and, and hepatocyte, but also you know, more and more, and that's probably the future immune cells with with you no know, uh, epithelial cells, and that's you not know, really what the three D brings us is this ad additional level of complexity. But what is important now is that we control this complexity. Before in the past, it wasn't controlled. No, we were doing a lot of uh, random differentiation in 3D without really understanding what we are doing. Now we really know we can bring the cells together, we can we know in, in which conditions and or we can self-organize them in a meaningful way. That's really make a difference. And we can ask different questions. Again, no, it's it's an additional complexity that allows us to, to to ask new questions and model uh, other aspects of disease, for example. 
So then you you would say Ludovic that um, you, you, the, the the previous the, the the initial years when you were working in the 2D and now in the organoids, the reproducibility of your experiment experiments is much better than what you did in the past because it was difficult to uh, to put on the control, let's say, an experiment. So I, I would say no, the, the really no, it's not really reproducibility. It's more kind of no control complexity which is you no know, more interesting now with the 3d uh no we can we can uh really now have, have a system that uh, allows us to as you know cell interaction 3d organization um which are more physiological for some question and and you no know, and extend the, the the number of of aspects we can explore with this model system in terms of, of biology and i think that that's really you no know, at least for the in vitro modeling that's really what it brings us of course after you no know, uh, for more kind of therapeutic use and, and development of artificial organ, no, that's really bring additional function and, and additional interaction that are really important for the functioning of those artificial organisms in vivo. But that's not, I think that's that's what Pedro is, is, is doing. Yeah, no. and then I guess indeed uh, it's uh, it's uh, there's a huge uh, complexity. It, it the 3D models on itself, even when you work with just one cell type, it already gives you some kind of a higher level of complexity. So uh, on the other hand, if you start working with co-cultures, uh, even for a treatment, even for uh, a, a targeting of, of uh, with a drug compound, uh, from the moment you start working in a 3D model with uh, different cell types, uh, you do see completely different uh, reactions of the cell, the cell behavior of the different cell types than what we did uh, previously in 2D. So yes, indeed, I. I I fully agree. It's getting more and more complex, but it's getting more and more, um, more and more interesting, and um, yeah, more complex, more interesting. But maybe also it, it touches more to the reality where we want to be. We want to give um, 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 some kind of uh, new data out, some kind of new investigations analysis that uh, leads then at one point to the treatment of the patient. So uh, therefore, I do believe um, it needs to be more complex than uh, just a one cell type and a 2D uh, cell culture. No. And when it comes to complexity, may I throw in one more component? Because of course, when I look at an organ, I see cells, but I also see the extracellular matrix. So Krista, you being an expert in that field, what do you regard to be the importance of the, the ECM? Uh, can we recapitulate this as well in 3D? And, and what, um, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, um, yeah, uh, that's a good question. We're still working on it, on the importance of the extracellular matrix. Um, of course, we already know for many years, and this was already even when we were working in 2D, uh, like how important the extracellular matrix is, right? We all know that uh, the healthy uh, ECM is different than the um, cirrhotic uh, ECM that we can find in the cirrhotic liver, in the diseased liver. Uh, for, for many, many years, we know already that um, quantity is changing, but also quality is changing of the extracellular matrix. And I think now with working in the 3D models, uh, it's very important to understand uh, a few things like, um, is the stiffness that I'm working in, is it the correct stiffness? Eh? Because um, yes, of course, um, in 2D, you work with a 20 gigapascal stiffness, 
Whereas we do know now when we measure the stiffness of a decelerized a healthy liver or a cybotic liver, you are in the range between two and six kilopascal. So that's a tremendous difference. And so, of course, this kind of the stiffness on itself of the extracellular matrix is already influencing the cell behavior, let alone, of course, the bioactive compounds uh, factors that we can find in the extracellular matrix. And of course, all this, um, I think uh, it gives us these, uh, you know, the more we know about uh, the, uh, the different signature, the different proteins, which are important in the diseased liver, but are not present in the healthy liver, can we target this? Um, which cells are responding to these extra extracellular matrix proteins or uh, factors that are released by a, a multitude of the um, cells in the liver? So I think um, for, for all these kind of the stiffness, the quantity, the quality, the biofactors secreted by all kinds of different uh, liver cells, very important that when we work, that, that we think about this, when we work uh, with the 3D models. So uh, the more you know and the more you investigate, and again here we are starting with the complexity of the model, because you can start with a 3D model, which can be rather uh, less complex when you start making yourself the extracellular matrix composition of the extracellular matrix. You can see how the cells are reacting. But on the other hand, we have the human liver, um, whether it's healthy or whether it's erotic, it can be very complicated, of course. So, but when we start, when we work in 3D, we always need to remember like how well we mimic the 3D environment in our petri dish. Very important. No. And um, can, I, can I ask you the panel in general, right? So, um, we already uh, heard uh, a bit of uh, Pedro and uh, Ludovic, right? So um, we, we, we know what are the advantages and the disadvantages of uh, working in 3D or working in 2D versus the 3D, right? Um, so can I start with Pedro? What would be for you um, the, the, the biggest advantages and disadvantages in, in your work, in your research? Well, I mean, the, the 2D, uh, as we all know it, it's the easiest model, right, to, to culture cells. Uh, it's not only because we're used to it. It's because a lot of what we buy and the, the protocols that were developed, you know, for decades now are so uh, imprinted into what we do in cell biology that they're just easy to replicate in any lab, right? But they're easy to work with. Uh, the disadvantage, as we all already mentioned, here is that they do not really represent what the bona fide tissues we have in our body, the 3D tissues are. And that's why so going into the 3D level is really, I think, the, the way to go. But uh, when, we, when we think about 3D on the advantages, so we already mentioned quite a lot of it. Uh, and, you know, it's not only about uh, representing more closely what our tissues are, it's also uh, functionalizing cells more, uh, getting these interactions between cells and different types of cells in the same in the same tissue or in the same organoid that we don't see in the 2D as well. Um, but uh, despite all these advantages, so in, in our case, we're really trying to to create a liver to to trans for transplantation. So we cannot envision it happening without really considering the 3D environment because a liver is not a 2D; it's not a piece of of paper. And so when you put this into consideration, so there's really no way out of it. So we have to, to really build the liver 
or something that looks like a liver and functions like a liver uh, in order to really cure patients uh, with it. And this is really how we see uh, the 3D working because we don't think we have any other choice. The advantage we have, and this is to bring uh, what Philip just asked you uh, a few minutes ago, is that by using decellularized liver scaffolds, uh, we have all the goodies that you talked already about that you discussed, Krista. So all the biomechanics, all the biomechanics, all the biochemical stimuli, but we also have spatial orientation, and uh, cells really know where they need to go. And we know this when we infuse different cell types in our bioreactors in, in, into the liver decellularized scaffold, and we see them really going where they need to. So if you go after 24 hours, it's still just a, a whole mix of cells. It's just like a soup. Everything is in there. But then if you give them time, they start to migrate. They start to go into their respective places because they can read the ECM. So they have uh, receptors for this, interbrain receptors, ECM receptors, and they really can go into the places where they belong. And I think this is really one of the biggest advantages we've, we've seen by working in 3D with this decellularized liver matrices is the spatial orientation that you have to sum up on all the different things you already talked about. So higher cell function, so they secrete more albumin, more alpha-1 antitrypsin, et cetera, et cetera, than they do in 2D. Uh, you can have different cell types there uh, that start to orient in the right position and have different interactions than you do not have or that you cannot regulate properly if you do this with the older systems of embryonic bodies uh, or in 2D. So this is, I think, one of the, the biggest advantages we see to work in 3D and with the spatial orientation. The biggest disadvantage, because there are also some, is that there's a cost to this. <laughs> because now you're working with millions and millions of cells rather than just a 10 centimeter dish where you put just a few million, millions. And this is not only money, uh, resources, this is also time. The, you know, one large experiment with, with liver bioengineering takes you much longer because you need hundreds or sometimes billions of cells. And uh, this, this takes time. Uh, you know, it's not only about uh, having a million dollars or a million euros. It's also about having the, a large amount of people, the, the right equipments, the bioreactors, the right protocols. And so this is, I think, uh, and a disadvantage is, is that there's a lot of expertise that goes into it. And I, I'm Ludovic here and you, Krista, you, you guys know this well. It's not easy to, to do some of these methods and to replicate them, to get always the same thing experiment after experiment, Oof. this is, I think, one of the, the toughest things, but this is the way to go. May I Pedro, uh, thank you. Uh, indeed, I, I, I do agree with you that um, um, uh, now seemingly working in 2D was, uh, it's, the, it's the most easiest way and straightforward and, 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 and you can reproduce it. It doesn't, in comparison to the 3D and working with uh, uh, human organs and so on, it, it, it doesn't cost that much, yeah, and uh, indeed, um, and it takes a lot of time and it, it takes a lot of people to work on one big project uh, with the different uh, subsequent projects to get everything working and reproducible, indeed, indeed. Um, Ludovic, what do you think, what are your, what do you think, advantages, disadvantages in your field? So I think the really the, the key for me is is what the question you want to address and and you know what are your objectives. So so for example, if you want to replace the anti-organ, you no, know, and 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 have a fully functional artificial liver, yes, I think you know you need 
3D all the cells and so on. But if you want to do a high throughput screening of 200,000 compounds you know, and, and so on, again, no, doing that in 3D would be extremely challenging and it's probably better to do that in 2D and then rescreen your compounds, you no know, selected compounds in 3D and so on. So again, no, the key is to fit your application to your model system. Uh, and no, I don't, I don't think there is the only good system to good question that's that's the point no and the 3d have, have a lot of advantages of course no it's it's uh more physiological you can as you know reproduce uh, uh complex cell interaction you can have more function functionalities that you don't have in 2d but of course no it's a bit heavier to uh, manipulate it's take more time it's it's no it's more uh, expensive in some aspect and so on. So you need to balance that by, based on the question you want to address. And I'd say, you know, the advantage of the 3D, I think is often new opportunity to ask new questions that we couldn't ask before. And that's what is, is very exciting. Um, and you know, it's up to people now to uh, you know, use the best system and the best approach to the question they want to ask. But really, I say it's open really new field of investigation that we didn't have before. Yeah. Thank you. And um, can I ask you, um, would would there would it be already the time to start writing some kind of guidelines of um, the three D models and and so on? Or do you think that we are still in the phase of you know optimization, working, making a, a more a global system that everybody can uh, use? Would you say that it's already there's all it's time to make uh, to write the guidelines or you know the the initial guidelines how to work in 3D with different uh, 3D models? That that's the, the it's a very complex question because you have you no know, a lot of different 3D model systems. You no, know, you have D cells organ, you have uh, organoids in matrigel, you have you no know, artificial uh, hydrogel and so on. Um, I think. What would be really interesting, in, in, and again, this part of center of view, you know, is is uh, no, what are the, the the best approach for the for the best application? Okay, so for example, you know, when do we need to use D cells? When we can use matrigel? When we can use androgel and so on? And so we are, we could agree, you know, that some of those systems are better than others for some application. Okay, and that, that I think, and we could also add. Agree on the characteristic of those 3D systems. You know, what should be the key characteristic of uh, a properly D cells organ? What is should be you know, the characteristic of a 3D culture and, and androgel and, and so on? I think that that that, that would be in, indeed helpful because at the moment there's such a wide diversity of application and, and system that you know, sometimes people get a, get a bit lost and are not always sure or you no know, confident in what is the best system. And uh, what about you, um, uh, Pedro? What do you think about guidelines? Well, uh, look, I, I agree with what uh, Ludovic just said, because I think we're still at the very beginning of the story in the sense that we're still going through the nomenclature. Uh, we just actually had a, a collaborative um, a seminal review last year, or two years ago, can't remember, on cell stem cells, which basically defined the names of the organoids that we take out of the liver, depending on the cell of origin. And this is just to give you an example. So we're still debating some of the basics here. Uh, what shall we call this organoid versus the other precisely because of the diversity that Ludovic just mentioned. There's, there's so many systems out there, so many mixes of cells that start to happen nowadays that I think we should really define that well to at least be all on the same page when we're discussing organoid X, Y, or Z. 
So that's, I think, essential uh, as a starting guideline. Regarding the hydrogels, and, and I think this, this is also another, another issue, is that we're still using a very complex hydrogel, non-defined uh, as matrigel or, or the ones we derived from, from, from this embryonic tumor. Uh, from mice. And, and I think this is also an important confounding fa uh, factor because we have to do uh, screening on, on different lots of mater gel just to be able to detect the best ones to grow our organoids. So this already tells you that uh, until we go towards a ch more chemically defined hydrogel that can always reproduce what we expect from it. So we, we're still not working on or not at least doing the, the, our job on the same page. And I think if we start to talk about guidelines, so this is pretty much some of the, the, the first topics we should start to discuss. So it's the nomenclature, uh, the culture conditions, so that uh, there's a protocol that can work in my lab, Ludovic's lab, your lab, anyone's lab, and that always has more or less the same reproducibility being the changes, the cells that we put on. So because then the donors are different, so we cannot expect always the same performance. But I think these are some of the things we should be discussing initially as guidelines. Um, and, and I think that the field is starting to do this because we start to see some of the publications coming out in this direction. So the nomenclature, working on the hydrogels, trying to substitute matrigel, always with one of the important things in mind, uh, clinical translation. Because I, I think when we start to talk about guidelines, so this applies to the basic science, obviously, uh, defining or at least um, being more specific about these 3D systems, but also trying to define them better so that then when we talk with regulatory agencies, they just don't send us back, well, guys, you're still using matrix, so let's let's use something different so that we can actually put this into humans without harm. So I think if you think about it, so this, this is certainly what comes up to my mind, but I think this will come with time, uh, you know, by getting more in-depth knowledge of what is actually happening here. and having some of these still lingering questions uh, answered with, with the time, I, I think it will happen. So this is, I think, uh, how I see this, this going forward. Yeah, yeah and, and, and indeed, um, um, maybe it's, it's still a little bit too soon to get really guidelines written uh, and, uh, you know, for, for the whole world to follow and so on. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it depends also a little bit on, uh, you know, what are the next giant steps that are in the field going on, you know, and, uh, and yeah, who, who knows, uh, maybe in five or ten uh, years we have really like uh, very good guidelines, um, you know, you, you, I think you always need to be very optimistic when you are a scientist, right? Uh, what you are doing today might lead to something in five or ten years later to, to some very nice uh, uh, outputs, of course. And um, can I can I ask you um, and uh, the panel in general? General. So um, of course we're talking about the uh, um, uh, also of course uh, animal study uh, studies. Do you think that um, we will uh, uh, um, uh, replace or reduce the animal experiments? just by the fact that we are working much more in uh, 3D, with uh, 3D cultures. And for which kind of applications do you think that we are already there to reduce uh, the amount of animals that needs to be uh, used? Shall, shall I start? Um, 
So yeah, no, I, I'm I'm really convinced that um, no, the model we are developing, um, especially using human cells, will allow to decrease the, the amount of work with with animal model. Uh, simply because first, no, we, there's there's a clear um, no aspect on with animal model that we incredibly you know useful uh, used by a number of a bold number of labs and 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 companies. But we also know that there's limitation now and that no. Uh, the, the translation to human is not always systematic. And there is a strong need now to have a you know, humanized system that allows to ask you know, uh, questions and to validate results generated on other model systems. So that's why I think you know, clearly you know, the, the use of 3D system with human cells uh, really, uh, no, that's really the good timing now because uh, it's really answering a clear need uh, in at the industry level, at the academic level, to uh, no translate uh, result into human uh, context, and and so no ultimately we need more time for no industries to to for the industry to really adopt those system and to reach standards that are compatible with no regulators and and industrial standards but right but no we are on this on the process of doing that in the next few years no no those model system will be more and more currently used and no, we'll start to decrease the need of animal model. We'll always need animal model because physiological context now is really important. But already, you know, we can see that some of the in vitro system we have developed in 3D can be inserted in example, drug pipeline to uh, validate target, to validate drugs uh, that will you know, reduce the number of compounds that then need to be uh, further validated in, in, in vivo. And that's no, that's really the process that's ongoing. It's a long process because no, it's require a lot of convincing, formal demonstration, increased standards, transfer from academic to industry and so on. But that's already ongoing. I say, and there's a very strong drive because there's a realization that you can't you know, uh, do biology only on, on animal model now. You need to complement that on, on human system, especially in the context of translation. Yes, uh, uh, Ludovic. I think we we, we all uh, do agree on on, on these um, animal experiments. They they will be there. We will need them. But uh, especially also the three D um, has found itself a niche. I think uh, and uh, that we all would like to work on. Um, I think we have a, a last question, and I leave Philip to ask the question before we wrap up this session. Thank you very much. Uh, so. A more practical disadvantage that I came across is the problem that nutrients aren't equally divided in a 3D setting anymore, because you know it's not a layer of medium on top of a 2D uh, cell culture dish, but you know it's more complex and the core might receive a little bit less, and this can become problematic at a certain size of organoids. So you know the human body tackles that by developing vessels, and I was wondering. How is the development in this area? Um, are organoids already getting vascularized? And can we maybe at some stage also investigate portal hypertension in vitro? Uh, what's your take on that? And could 3D bioprinting maybe help, you know, to already have some vessels inside? So a little bit the visions. Um, and, and what do you think about that? If I may go very quickly. Uh, I mean, yes, the, the, the answer to uh, vascularization of organoids, yes, it's happening. Um, there's a very interesting paper uh, from um, Shane Rafi last year, uh, or two years ago again, can't remember well, 
where he's doing this in microfluidic devices. And um, I mean, it's not a bona fide vascularization with blood vessels, uh, but uh, but you can see that the endothelial cells, once they spread out of the channels, they start to do this inside of these organs. And, and this is, I think, an important uh, question you asked because this is actually what happens in vivo. Not all the cells are, are, are at the same distance from a blood vessel or from a capillary. And this has different or uh, obviously different consequences when we expose them to a hormone, to a drug, because the response is always, or a nutrient, because the response is not always the same. But, but I think this is happening. And I think this will give us one more dimension and one more, probably one more degree of complexity, because then uh, drug distribution or uh, growth factor exposure nutrients is going to be different. And I think this, this is, I think, um, very promising because it's not only more complex, but it's also more, I think, close to what we see in our in our human bodies. Yes, uh, I, I fully uh, agree, Pedro. Um, I think it's very important also for uh, the young scientists who are starting now to work with the 3D, that um, depending on the question like Ludwig says, what do you, what is your question and how can you proceed uh, to, to get some kind of an answer, right? Uh, very, very important, I think, is working and thinking about whether you can uh, investigate your question in a uh, static uh, system, 3D culture, or uh, that you need a, a, a dynamic system. And uh, Philip, I guess for you, if you want to start working with uh, uh, and, and investigate the portal hypertension and the involvement of endothelial cells and all the other cells of the liver, uh, for sure you will need to go and work with the dynamic system, indeed. Ludovic, do you have something? To add to this, no, I think that's no, that's very true. No, uh, the the, I think what what I'm, I'm really excited about now is this this uh, growing field on self-organizing your uh, organ and so on, whereby you know uh, you can combine cells and they ultimately they will know what to do. And that's something that you now is more and more uh, at least on early stage of ongoing development. A lot of work is ongoing, and I'm really interested to see how that will apply to more you know, adult and ad advanced organ. Uh, because no, uh, probably the cells know what what to do in in, in big parts, and we 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 need to trust them, especially if we go, give them the right treaty on government. But yeah, so that that I think is, is definitely the future. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think we need to end this uh, session. Uh, I would like to thank uh, uh, Pedro, Ludovic, and uh, Philip. And Philip, if you can take it over. Of course. Thank you very much to all of you. Um, I'm excited to learn about the new discoveries in the future. I think it's a br very bright field. Thank you for being with us today and see you next Wednesday. <laughs>